Hi everyone. Chapter 37 continues the story in which an Assyrian army, having ravaged and destroyed the Judean countryside and major cities, is surrounding the capital, Jerusalem, and Rav Shaker, a senior official, is giving a psychological speech in Hebrew, which is frightening the city's inhabitants. Eliakim, the head of the royal household, Shebna the scribe, and Yoach the recorder, come to the king with their clothes torn, retelling what Rav Shaker said. The king sends his advisers to Yeshayahu with the request that the prophet pray for Jerusalem. But interestingly, Yeshayahu doesn't pray. He simply tells them not to fear the words they have heard, Asher gidfu nare melech ashur oti, with which the flunkies of the king of Assyria reviled me, God. And as Rav Benny Lau points out, this is similar to other situations in Tanakh, where the king specifically asks the prophet to pray, but the prophet refuses. Instead, it's the king who's supposed to pray to Hashem. And later in the chapter, verses 15 to 20, this is indeed what happens. Chizkiel falls on his face, and using some words we now use in our Tachanan prayers, pleads with God to save the city. And God answers, promising to vanquish the Assyrian army. And the Lord's messenger went out struck down in the Syrian camp 185,000. And when they arose early in the morning, look, they were all dead. And Sancherev, king of Assyria, pulled up stakes and went off and returned to Assyria, stayed in Nineveh. And it happened as he was bowing down in the house of his god Nisroch, the Adra Melech and Sareza his son smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat, and Esarhadon his son reigned in his stead. We don't know what really happened here. Perhaps it was a plague that went through the camp. But it's interesting that despite quite vividly describing all of the victories, Assyrian history doesn't mention this story at all, which I'd argue actually makes it more likely that some major setback or catastrophe happened to the army outside the walls of Jerusalem. Sancherev had said that Jerusalem was like a bird in a cage. But in chapter 31, we read a different description of the city. Kitsipurim Afot. As birds fly above, so will the Lord of hosts protect Jerusalem. He will deliver it as he protects it. He will rescue it as he passes over. When Rabbi Joe taught these chapters around Sukkot time, he suggested a fascinating idea. that The fact that Judah was saved from destruction in 701 actually generated a feeling amongst the population that they could relax 
and that God would always save them. And this led them to not heed the warnings to do tshuva. And in this context, the seeds of their ultimate destruction are in some ways sown by their salvation. I think this is an accurate reading of the story. But I'd like to add a different angle, one that suggests that the salvation the kingdom of Judah experiences actually helps keep Judaism alive. There's a wonderful book called What If? Eminent historians imagine what might have been. It discusses a range of counterfactual questions, those what if something different had happened? How might it have changed history? Many of the chapters are more modern. They deal with the world wars. What if Halifax had become British Prime Minister in 1940 rather than Churchill? What if the Allies failed to break the Enigma Code? What if the Axis powers won the North African campaign, as the Yishuv in Mandatory Palestine feared that they would? What if D-Day had failed? What if in 1944 FDR hadn't dumped Henry Wallace, his then Vice President, and appointed Truman instead? And then there are others. What if China had discovered the new world? What if the leader of the Mongols hadn't died as his army was on the edge of Vienna? The first chapter of this book is written by a historian called William H. McNeil. McNeil taught history at Chicago University for 40 years. And amongst other things was the author of a book, The Rise of the West, A History of the Human Community, which became a bestseller and won the National Book Award for History and Biography. You may be asking why any of this is relevant. And the answer is because McNeil's chapter is called Infectious Alternatives, the plague that saved Jerusalem. What if Sancherib, king of Assyria, had conquered Jerusalem in 701 when he led his, his imperial army against a coalition of Egyptian, Phoenician, Philistine and Jewish enemies and handily defeated them all? This, it seems to me, is the greatest might have been in all military history, writes McNeil. This may be an odd thing to say about an engagement that never took place. Yet Jerusalem's preservation, McNeil writes, shaped the subsequent history of the world far more profoundly than any other military action I know of. Why? McNeil's claim rests on the argument of how Jewish religious belief evolved between 701 BCE when Judah was almost exiled, and only 20 years after the 10 tribes were exiled and subsequently disappeared, and 586 BCE, when in fact they were exiled by the Babylonians. And it hinges on a key question. Is exile a sign that God isn't powerful enough to protect his people, or rather is exile a sign that God is punishing his people? And the experience of deliverance in 701 helped ensure Judaism promoted the latter option rather than the former when the people were sent to Babylonia, to Babylon. The story of God saving Jerusalem, McNeil says, made it possible to believe that the God of Moses and of David was in fact omnipotent, protecting his worshippers from the mightiest monarch of the day. This episode as interpreted by the pious party in Jerusalem, 
made monotheism credible as never before. An emphatic and compromising monotheism was what fitted the Jewish religion to survive and flourish in the cosmopolitan age that the Assyrian conquests had inaugurated. In other words, this idea is absorbed into the Jewish psyche for over a hundred years. And therefore when 586 happens, this belief gets taken to Bavel with the Jewish exiles. McNeil writes that when exile does come, the idea that God did in fact govern all the world was so firmly established that abandoning God, as the Israelites had done after 722, was inconceivable. Instead, long-standing prophetic denunciations of the sins of the Jewish people made it obvious that the Babylonian exile was God's punishment for the failure of Judah's rulers and people to observe the commandments to the full. And why is this relevant for world history? Because, much later, the Jewish faith gives rise to two other religions, who between them are followed by over half of the entire population of the world. Without Judaism surviving, monotheism may not have survived, and the history of the world would have looked completely different. As McNeil concludes, never before or since has so much depended on so few, behaving so wholly in their one true God. Wishing everyone a wonderful day and a Shavuot Tov.